Hello and welcome back to Equity, the TechCrunch podcast, where we unpack the numbers and the nuance behind the headlines. This is Alex, and it is April 18th, 2022, and I am proud to say that I am back in Providence, where I belong, which means I have my full setup, and I cannot wait to have a very, very productive week. But first, guys, the markets. Taking a look at the markets, what's going on? Well, over in the European Union, stocks are up. Over in Asia, stocks were mixed today. China's first quarter GDP data did come in better than expected, but don't forget, it's not really inclusive of the Shanghai lockdown, so more to come there. Here in the U.S., stocks are down a little bit ahead of the open, but nothing too crazy. Turning our eyes to the crypto market, well, major crypto tokens are down in the last 24 hours and about 5% in the last week. But if you prefer that data in dollar terms, well, Bitcoin is back under the $40,000 mark, while ETH has slumped back under 3K. Tokens from Solana and other smaller chains are off more like 8% in the last seven days, but really not too much is going on this morning. However, a lot is about to happen. Looking ahead in the market's context, we do have earnings this week, which of course has me incredibly excited. We're going to hear from Netflix, Snap, Qualtrics, and Tesla this week, but really it's all prelude to what's coming next week, which is Google, Microsoft, Facebook, Apple, Spot. It's going to be absolutely packed. So the next two weeks, lots of data. Get hyped. And speaking of earnings and regulations and all things involving the government, well, Didi reported its Q4 results over the weekend and the numbers were kind of whatever. But just in case you do care, the company had $6.4 billion in revenue and about $600 million worth of negative adjusted EBITDA. There's also a board change coming to Didi. But none of that really matters because the company has decided that it's going to hold a, quote, extraordinary general meeting of shareholders in late May. Saying that the company is, quote, in full cooperation with a cybersecurity review in China, the company has effectively decided to hold a vote on delisting its shares from the New York Stock Exchange and has also said that it, quote, will not apply for listing of its shares on any other stock exchange before completion of the delisting. Essentially, the company is going private, at least for a period of time, and investors are not pleased. Didi's value is off 18% in pre-market trading to just $2 per share. That is very, very far from its 52-week high of $18.01. Essentially, we are seeing the saga of Didi, post-American listing continue. The company went ahead with a U.S. IPO despite some governmental concern, prompting a later brutal shellacking by the Chinese Communist Party. This has been going on for a very, very long time. But the company slinking off the American markets after giving up nearly all of its value is just not what we expected when the company first listed here. And speaking of regulation, if you will, reporting on the collapse of much trading volume of cryptocurrencies in India continued over the weekend. When you add in tax changes that Indian crypto fans have to pay, it's a mess of a period for crypto in one of the largest countries on the earth. Indeed, with crypto volumes falling in India and effectively mooted by the CCP, we're seeing the two largest countries in the world either stumble or opt out when it comes to a particular set of financial innovation that many remain optimistic will remake the world. Something to think about. And speaking of issues in crypto land, let's talk about Beanstalk. On Sunday, Beanstalk was exploited for $182 million, according to PeckShield data that the block covered. So what happened here? Well, essentially, the actor in question used a form of loan or flash loan, if you will, to accumulate lots of governance tokens in Beanstalk, allowing them to change the protocol and effectively give themselves coins held by Beanstalk. It's all messy, but it's indication that with innovation in the crypto space comes risk. Now, why did we say innovation? Well, Beanstalk calls itself a, quote, decentralized credit-based stablecoin, which is actually a pretty cool idea if you think about it. And it was doing quite well. 
Beanstalk grew to over $150 million in total value locked, or TVL, as of April 15th per the company's Twitter account. So yes, it did have enough money on hand to be exploited for as much money as we think that it was. Exploits like this are kind of double-edged in my view. On one hand, it, it does suck that someone took advantage of a group of folks and ran off with their money. On the other hand, in a code-as-law world where governance is directly tied to economic wealth or buy-in, this sort of issue is going to keep happening. In fact, there seem to be incentives in place to actually kind of force it to keep happening. I mean, as long as you can move money quickly and move lots of it and kind of clean it with other crypto mechanics, why wouldn't this sort of thing happen? Are DAOs inherently, I don't know, untrustworthy? Finally, to my favorite part of the show, let's talk about startups. And today we're going to go around the world, starting in Africa. According to reporting from our own Tej Kene Okafor, Zambian card-issuing fintech Union54 has put $12 million more onto its balance sheet in a seed extension round led by Tiger Global. Now, this is an extension, not kind of a brand new round. It's only been about six months since Union54, which has an API that allows African software companies to issue and manage their debit cards, if you will, without needing a bank or a third-party processor, announced a $3 million seed round, also led by, again, you guessed it, Tiger Global. Now, this deal shows that fintech in Africa is still active, despite a very, very busy 2021, and that Tiger is still doing what it set out to do, namely invest lots of money into earlier stage rounds. And I'll throw in one more thing. I thought this year we weren't going to see rounds land within six months of each other. Well, proves what I know. Union 54 is showing us that 2022 is still a little bit like 2021. Now, spin that globe. Let's go over to India. According to our own Manish Singh, quote, Urban Piper, a restaurant management platform that processes 18% of all online food orders in India, has raised $24 million in a new financing round from a number of investors, including Swiggy and Zomato. Yeah, this deal is cool, but there are a lot of deals in India. It's a very active startup scene. So, why this one? Why do we care about Urban Piper? Well, Swiggy and Zamata both put money into the company in this round, and they are rivals in the Indian food delivery space. So they have both agreed that Urban Piper is kind of the Switzerland, if you will, of online food ordering in India. Notable. Now, we're going to close out the show today with a note on corporate governance. I know everyone's absolute favorite thing to talk about early on a Monday morning. In light of Elon Musk trying to buy Twitter, the company adopted a poison pill defense, or what it calls a rights plan, on Friday. I'm going to quote from Twitter here because it's going to be the best way to kind of explain what's going on. According to the company, quote, the rights plan will reduce the likelihood that any entity, person, or group gains control of Twitter through open market accumulation without paying all shareholders an appropriate control premium. Essentially, the setup will trigger a situation that will allow others to buy Twitter stock at a massive discount. Now, why is this setup called a, a poison pill? Well, because it sucks for everyone, kinda. The goal is to ensure that an external investor can simply take over a company by buying its stock on the public markets without board approval and paying quite a lot extra for it, a change of control, if you will. So more stock is sold to dilute the crusading investor, leading to a general dilution of the company's ownership. I can hear you thinking, yeah, but the company gets money from the share sales, so, so what? Why is it so bad? Well, by selling them at a discount, Twitter is effectively saying that it will collect small sums for big share sales, bleeding itself to prevent someone else from stealing its heart. Now, all this is actually somewhat standard, but there has been some griping on Twitter amongst private market investors who may be, I don't know, Elon Musk fans, about the setup, which is actually hysterical. Poison pills for public companies are a little bit like a, a last-ditch dual-class share structure that startups love these days, in that they are both a mechanism for maintaining control of a company in the hands of current leadership. Now, poison pills for public companies are kind of a last-ditch dual-class share setup equivalent 
for public companies. Startups love dual-class shares because they are a mechanism for maintaining control of a company in the hands of current leadership, which is also exactly what poison pills are set up to do. So if you like one, why don't you like the other? Here's my view about this. I think that these VCs are a little bit irked that for once they don't get their way, and so they're being a little complaining about it, which is a little bit hypocritical. That is our show for this fine Monday morning. Do not forget you can follow Equity on Twitter, where we tweet under the handle EquityPod. You can also follow myself on Twitter, where I tweet under the handle Alex, because that is my name. Now, normally I would just say chat soon, talk later, goodbye, but this is a live show week which means that this Thursday, if you want, you can come hang out with us, watch us tape the Friday show live, ask questions, heckle, generally have a good time. Our Wednesday show will be out on Wednesday as always, but we'll see you on Thursday and talk to you on Friday. All right, bye.